0: doctors are being reduced to being technicians. Yes. is What I'm seeing.
1: Yes. They're being, they're being dumbed down. Skill sets are being taken away from them. And it's all in the interest of quote unquote efficiency, which is money. You know, you get less and less time with your doctor because the, the individual veterinarian has to see more and more appointments to justify his salary. You know, they have these pay scales based on, they'll pay you a salary that's Maybe it's okay, maybe it's not, and then they lure you in with all these bonus and production things to where if you really want to make enough money to pay off your $400,000 student loan debt and be able to you know, take a vacation once a year, then you've got to make this extra production. You've got to sell more stuff.
0: Ready to live at the higher vibrations where peace, love, joy, and good health are the daily standard? That's what this show is all about. Welcome to Vibe. And here's your host, Robin Openshaw. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Vibe Show. I am your host, Robin Openshaw. And today we're kind of back to the kind of content I did for years that you guys knew me as originally. Thank you to all those of us, all those of you who have stuck with me through two years of talking about medical freedom and all things virus and vaccine. Uh, But I'm not even going to tell you my story that caused me to ask my audience, hey, who do you know who's a holistic veterinarian? I am just going to first introduce him to you. I have I have his bio here. Welcome to the show, Dr. Matt Parker.
1: Hello.
0: And I the funny thing is, is like the first line of Dr. Parker's bio kind of told me what would have been my first question. Because I think about... I think about medical doctors, I think about pharmacists, and I think about veterinarians, and I'm like, some of them do a lot of schooling only to find out that they're selling drugs to babies or selling drugs to animals, (laughs) but we'll get to that. But his bio literally starts out, Dr. Matt Parker knew nothing at all about health and wellness or medicine or nutrition before he entered veterinary doctor school in 2005. In vet school, he learned about medicine. We're talking about modern Western conventional medicine and disease, but still nothing about health or wellness or nutrition. And so then he is going on this journey and he becomes really frustrated with the meteoric rise in autoimmune disease and cancer among the pets that he's treating. And he's just not got the tools. You know, in veterinary school, he's not taught the tools. Um, and everything is just just like it is for people. It's just steroids and antibiotics and high-tech tools. Same thing. Six years of being super frustrated with this and starting to question and ask deeper questions than they would have ever answered in veterinary school. Um, starts going into holistic stuff, permaculture, regenerative agriculture. He goes to Dr. Joel Salatin's Polyface Farms. And he's figuring out that we have mismanaged uh, livestock, we've mismanaged soils, and we certainly mismanaged how we take care of our domesticated pets. So how how'd I do for a summary? Yeah, sounds pretty good. Thanks. So that must have been really frustrating for you to think you were going to veterinary school to help animals. You must have been a big animal lover, right?
1: Well, yeah, I think... Most veterinarians, you know most of us go to vet school because we that's what we want. We want to help animals, and we suffer through a lot of years of school and a lot of extra late night and works work because that's what we want to do. And like you read in my bio, I didn't really realize that I wasn't doing that for the first few years. You know, it took me a while to realize that I wasn't helping them um. So I, you know, I worked in a few different places in the country, a few different... Everywhere I worked, we had allergies all the time. Everywhere I went, you know, Austin, Texas, and Charlotte, North Carolina, and Northern Virginia, you know, all these places where there's different trees and different things and different allergens, but all the dogs have terrible allergies, and everybody says, they're just terrible here.
0: I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Yeah, um... I
1: think if you ask... Most any veterinarian, you know, holistic or not, about half of what we see, by far the biggest clump or category of what we see is allergy and that whole category, skin atopy, autoimmune, but itchy stuff. That's the, by far the, by far the biggest thing we see throughout our day in veterinary appointments. And when I was in one town, I thought it was the town, but when I traveled and worked all over the country, I realized, well it must be something else but i didn't know what you know so it just it you know it took some personal growth on my own part to kind of start realizing that there was there was more to it that i could find
0: have you ever talked to like an old veterinarian who's retired who told you that it didn't used to be like that yeah a li-
1: um yeah i've heard that a little bit um i have a couple things to say about that actually um so a lot of the old vets will say, you know, well, we didn't have heartworms, you know, back in before the 50s. You know, heartworms are a major thing in dogs. And you've got to have the, the chemical heartworm prevention every month. And I've heard a few different people say, you know, back in the 50s and before that, you know, we didn't have that. We didn't have distemper either, which is one of the main, you know, viruses that we vaccinated against. Um, and some people will say, well, we didn't have the technology to identify those things or we didn't know we had them. Um, and others will say, "No, we didn't have them; we created them." Um, but the old school vets—you know, the guy, the the old country farm vets that you know everybody's so fond of—they um, kind of didn't. It's like they didn't mind or care what was wrong. They kind of did the same thing. They gave a little shot of steroids and antibiotics for whatever they came in for, and it fixed them. And they would go out in the middle of the night. If you called them at 2 a.m., they'd show up, and you didn't have to pay them half the time. And it's just so different now, you know. It's it's just, you know, it's like that greatest generation thing, you know, like those guys are gone. Um, yep. but no, they weren't seeing the problems we're seeing now. They weren't seeing allergies all the time. It's a it's a new thing for sure.
0: I just know that that's the case with humans and human babies and human children. I'm sorry about my lighting. It's really weird on know um is that Two generations ago, there's very little allergies. And we went from, you know, one theory is, I think the strongest theory, and I have spent a great deal of time studying this and asking questions, and I've interviewed hundreds of people, medical professionals especially, who question the paradigm, the whole pill for every ill paradigm, is um, that in 1986, are you familiar with the National Vaccine Injury and Compensation Act? Yeah, yeah. So we went from you're younger than me, but you know we went from having like six injections in childhood to now at seventy two. A friend of mine who's pregnant was just handed handed at her PD, or uh, her OB appointment a list of the CD schedule, and it's a hundred injections. Her child is supposed to get hundred injections throughout childhood. So you know causation or correlation doesn't imply causation. There's that could be glyphosate's a factor. It could be a multifactorial problem. But what brought me to you is that I was having a hard time finding anybody who would take my cat without giving them the injections. In fact, so here's how it started. And maybe you saw this on my Facebook page. because Someone tagged you in there, and I said, can I interview you?
1: Yeah.
0: So in Utah, she went to three different vets. I tried to have her partially spayed because that sounded like a good idea. To take out her uterus, but leave her ovaries so that she could right. continue to produce hormone. It seemed like a great idea. And I actually feel terrible about it because she was still like howling and she was still in heat and driving us completely insane. It was literally just not at all gonna work for a house an indoor cat. So sadly, she had two surgeries. So she had to have yeah. the whole thing, but with with sedation twice. And I feel terrible about that. Um, but then we moved her to Florida and vets were refusing to see her unless she was fully vaccinated. So I would just tell them she got her vaccines in Utah. I'm not going to go get the records. That's just a silly hoop. I don't want to run through. And she really only got the one that someone forced me to get or wouldn't treat her. Um, And so two different veterinarians, sorry, I'll make this story very short. Two different veterinarians in Utah had told me that or no one here and one in Utah that her teeth were rotten and that she needed to do some extractions. Well, when the second one told me that it was more compelling to me because that's two people tell, right. There's, there's your second opinion. So I found a woman in, um, that a friend referred me to in North Jacksonville who doesn't make you get the vaccines because I had taken, so I took my cat in for the scheduled tooth extraction and they called me after my husband left the cat there they called me and said we're going to give her all her vaccines because you can't prove that she has them and i said you certainly are not going to do that he'll be right back and he'll get her and so he went back to get her keep in mind that this same this same um veterinary office and now i'm going to give you so many things to talk about your brain's going to explode you're not going to know which direction to go but i'll bring you back don't worry you can talk about any part of this you want when we had been there before she had some kind of bladder infection. She was like rubbing her butt on the ground and her butt looked like a mess. And so we had to put her on an antibiotic, which I am not a fan of. And I did not put any of my children on an antibiotic for 25 years because I know how to deal with it without using antibiotics. And I know what chaos antibiotics can cause. But I really just didn't have a cat for 25 years because my oldest son was so allergic to them. So I'm kind of new to being a pet owner, like new, old, like, you know, and as a kid I had them, but I didn't have them for 20 something years. Anyways, in the course of her getting better after getting this antibiotic, she was doing some strange things. And the, the same vet, the one who said she was going to give her all the injections in order to have her tooth extraction, told me that my cat was depressed and needed to be on Prozac. And I like laughed. I thought she was joking. She wasn't joking at all. She didn't laugh. And so then I was just like, this, this vet's an idiot. Anyway, so I go to this third vet to get the teeth extraction done because she's willing to do it without the without like giving her all catching her up on all the vaccines this vet looks in her mouth and tells my husband her teeth are fine her teeth are fine so now my brain's exploding and i'm like so is basically the whole veterinary thing a big racket and they're just selling drugs or what is going on here just take that anywhere you want to go
1: i um i've got something for all of that actually so first of all sorry that you had such a bad ordeal with your cat um it's, you know, the fault lies in a lot of places. So the, you know, the, the veterinary industry, the industry is a racket, but veterinarians are not. So, you know, we all went to vet school because we want to help animals. And a lot of people like me just knew nothing about, I mean, I didn't know what the liver or the kidneys do. I didn't know anything about how the body works before I went to vet school. I mean, I didn't know anything at all. You know, and we ate fast food and steakhouse restaurants. And, you know, Mm -hmm. as a a kid, I would drink a two liter of Dr. Pepper every day in the summer. You know, I didn't drink Mm -hmm. water or anything Mm -hmm. healthy. But anyway, so I knew nothing at all. So in vet school, I learned how all the organ systems work. And they're taught to us kind of as separate things. This is how the kidney and urinary tract system works. And over here is how the liver works. And over here is the nervous system. and It's all separate. Um, But they teach us all those things. And what my observation is with the past couple years in human health and my experience as a veterinarian is that the Western modern medicine concept is ego-driven. So all modern Western medicine, veterinary and medical, it's taught as if there's, there's no other option. It's taught as if Western medicine is the only thing that's right. As if Western medicine is your only option, and we're kind of taught—I think indirectly—they don't say this, you know—they don't say this directly. But you know, it's like if somebody brings up something other than what you've been taught about Western medicine, we're taught to just poo-poo it. We're taught to just act like you know it has no merit. It's no, it's not valid. And then back to the old school vet you asked about earlier, you know one of my, my second year out of vet school, um, I worked for a guy who graduated vet school before I was born, you know, he'd been a veterinarian longer than I've been alive. So he was God, you know, he was a God to me because in your first year out of vet school, you still don't know much, you know, in vet school or medical school, they teach you all the technical stuff, but you don't really know how to do it or what to do with it or how to interact. And so somebody came in and asked about acupuncture and he just shot it down. So my first Experience to something holistic like acupuncture, which is what made me become so holistic later. You know, was a negative thing. So I thought, well, if this guy says it doesn't work, and I still have a huge amount of respect for him. I mean, he's 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 still like a god. But he didn't believe in acupuncture, so I didn't believe in acupuncture. Um, and that's the way they teach it at vet school: that Western medicine knows everything there is to know, and there's not anything else you can do. And I'm sure you've had people have this conversation through all your interviews and podcasts that. Modern Western medicine is the first theory or modality in the history of humans that we know of that thinks that it knows more than nature or that believes in contagion. You know, everything else, Chinese medicine and Ayurvedic and Arig- Aboriginal and Appalachian, you know, it's all about the terrain and the health and, you know, how your, your health and your balance is, is what makes you sick or not, not yes. some militant invader But Western medicine teaches that, and it teaches you that Western medicine has so much ego that it's always right, and it knows everything. And there's that saying that I think is attributed to Mark Twain. I don't know if it's actually true or not, but I've seen it somewhere where apparently there's a saying that it ain't what you don't know that gets you in trouble. It's what you know for certain that just ain't so. So I saw that on the movie The Big Short. Um, So that's what medicine teaches us, that we know everything. But we don't, you know, we don't. And all the other branches of medicine that are more holistic teach us to ask questions and try to figure out what's wrong in the body that's allowing you to get sick in the first place. So there's that point. I don't know which point that was, actually, but there's one. Um, so about a separate point about your cat in the ovary, ovary sparing spay I agree with in concept. You know, we're all born with our hormones for a reason, and we don't need to take them away. The reason we spay cats and dogs is for human convenience. If we would just train them better and keep them wherever we need to keep them, they wouldn't be reproducing. You know, theoretically, like our kids, maybe. You know, um, but we don't want to do that. It's it's not convenient, so we remove the reproductive organs. Um, what your vet wanted to do was save the ovaries and just remove the uterus so she couldn't get pregnant and she still have her hormones, which is a good idea and I agree with. But that's that's another point I'd like to make that if you're going to do something, you have to be almost an expert. You have to know what you're doing. Like I would not do that surgery because I'm a holistic guy and a thinker and acupuncture and hands-on chiropractic. I wouldn't be able to do that surgery correctly because it's just not what I do all day. Um, you have to remove every single microcyte. Microscopic ounce of the uterus tissue, if you're going to leave the ovaries in there, or else the uterus causes a bunch of hormone reactions and causes what your cat went through. So, if you're thinking so that's you, to think,
0: do that you surgery, think maybe that vet that I took her to and said, I just want this modified spay, you think maybe he just could have done it right and he maybe didn't know how?
1: Not exactly. Um, and I want to be careful that I don't discredit any veterinarians because I have so much respect for everybody, even when they don't believe in what I do and badmouth me, because I know. They give their heart and soul. Um, it's very technical and difficult. If you're not really well trained and really proficient, and you haven't done that surgery a lot of times, you're not going to do it right. You know, it's like doing a knee replacement or a hip replacement. Like if you go in for a hip replacement, you don't want the doctor who's doing it for his first or second time. You want right. the guy that's done it a thousand times. So I think that's the situation that happened there. And part of it is they don't teach that procedure in vet school because they want you to just remove everything, they don't want you to do right. it different. So to learn how to do it different, You have to teach yourself and that takes some practice and some trial and error. And you may have fallen into that part of that person's career and you may have benefited them because now they do it better for other people. I don't know. Um, I try to find the positive. So the point there is if you're going to do something like that, you don't necessarily go to me, the holistic vet, you go to the board certified surgeon who can really do it right. But that guy's going to want you to have all your vaccines. Um, So um, vaccines are something that Big Pharma has just, just you know, brainwashed us into believing. Um, I mean, I don't believe in vaccines at all. And I have a license, or well, that's a diploma. I have a license that the state says I'm allowed to be a veterinarian in their state, which I don't really agree with because now they can control how I'm a veterinarian because I'm licensed by them. And they believe in vaccines. You know, Great. So when I get on here and say publicly, I don't believe in vaccines you know, I don't know, that puts me at some amount of, of risk, but I don't believe in vaccines because I, um, I don't believe in contagion. So there's no reason for a vaccine. Um, but the, the people who make and sell vaccines have convinced the government and everybody else that we need vaccines. So they've brainwashed your vet, your vet, and I'm bringing it full circle, I promise. Um, your, your vets that you go to that want to make vaccines, they've been taught in vet school. And they've gotten out of vet school and worked for a guy who's been a veterinarian longer than they've been alive, who they just worship and adore. The vet school, that guy, the government, the licensing board all says vaccines, vaccines, vaccines. So when you come in the door and say, I don't want vaccines, they automatically think that you're a threat or you're a risk or you're something else, and they don't know what to do with it. They haven't been trained, you know, in psychology or behavior or personal interactions they've been taught in Western medicine. They don't know what to do with that. And they've been threatened about that. They're going to get rabies or that, you know, or that they're going to get sued or you're going to sue them. So they can't even have a conversation with you about vaccines because they're so scared of it. So it's not entirely their fault, fault because they've been taught it and pressured so much. But on the other hand, I figured that out after a number of years. So I think we still have to Why take some responsibility they? as veterinarians to start figuring out, you know, that everything we were taught is not necessarily correct. Um, all right, I'm ready for I'm ready to pause and let you talk
0: again. <laughs> One of my Florida neighbors said she found a veterinarian who was willing to let her I think dog I think she has a dog not be vaccinated because she said, because he feels safe because he got the rabies vaccine. And I'm just like, okay.
1: So they make us as veterinarians, we have to get a rabies vaccine. You said something earlier about the vaccines and people. I was born in 72 and I've looked at my vaccine record and I didn't have all that, you know, that was before the big push of vaccines. I didn't have all that many and I'm okay with it. And I was in the military in the early 90s, and I went to Haiti, and I think they gave me like a yellow fever or typhoid vaccine or something. And I personally, I think it comes down to constitution and genetics and a lot of things. You know, the vaccines I've had, I don't think they've hurt me, but I have a domestic partner who a vaccine would probably kill her. You know, her immune system and everything is just so much different. So, but yes, we have to have a rabies vaccine to go to vet school. So I've had a rabies vaccine. and if you, that vet is kind of what that comment made is kind of interesting, because if you believe in vaccines, like kids with measles or whatever, if you're vaccinated, then why are you afraid of the ones who aren't vaccinated? Right. Same thing with dogs. You know, a part of the, the influence is, the biggest problem I run to is I have a lot of patients who they want to go boarding or doggy daycare, or maybe they're going to have to go to the emergency clinic at some point, you know, for something I don't do because I don't do that stuff. And they require the vaccines. So, you know, I make the argument, well, if all the other dogs there are vaccinated, then why do they care that your dog's not? Your dog's not going to get them sick. So vaccines don't make any sense. the People, you know, don't even know what they believe. Um, Yeah.
0: And then they, they, um, so like I said, I don't know these issues so much with animals, but I raised four children to adulthood. And my oldest son was vaccinated and injured and was in and out of hospitals for a year. Um, Really severe asthma was the way it presented. And I didn't really connect. He got the MMR jab and then had this life-threatening asthma, even though he was born perfectly healthy and was perfectly healthy for several months until I had my next child and got her vaccinated. And the same thing happened, like on a dime. And I was like, oh, and I was injured from the flu vaccine. And it was, you know, just you don't really connect it because no one helps you connect it. It's not like your pediatrician tells you. Hmm, maybe that was the vaccine to give them. They don't want to say that. They don't want to know about it. It's like, hear no evil, see no evil, all those things. But I know, I know about, you know, like my cat being kicked out of multiple veterinary offices now, pretty much all of them. And so I have to just find a veterinary office. What you got to realize is 23 years ago, I got kicked out of a pediatrics practice. They literally, I went in for an ear infection. I was already well down the road with terrain theory. So if you guys are listening to Dr. Parker say he doesn't believe in contagion, I believe that what he means is I don't believe that there's germs chasing you around and they're going to catch you and they're going to kill you. He believes that the body is full of germs at all times. I did, Dr. Parker, I did um, recently an episode. I hope you guys will all watch if that's foreign to you because it'll change your life. It's very important material, which was um, terrain germ theory for dummies. So debunking the germ theory, like there's a kernel of truth to germ theory. Maybe maybe you don't agree with that, but I believe there's a the pro, the problem with it is that there's a, a kernel of truth to it. But then people make it the entire construct, and really ninety five percent of it is the Are we a good host for those those bacteria, those viruses, the mold, the yeasts, whatever, to get the upper hand? Well, if we keep our if we become host that's pretty impervious to those things. So anyway, that's a whole other, that's a whole other topic. But yeah, I took my daughter in for, she, she had ear infections from the time she was little and her eardrum kept rupturing. I think her eardrum probably ruptured like 15 times. I was worried she'd be deaf. She ended up being wow. a singer, like just started busting out in high school with this like operatic voice. And I'm like, first of all, wow. Cause I can't sing and neither your dad, but second of all, yay, you're not deaf from all the times that you're Your eardrum ruptured, but I so I take her in for this ear infection. And I also do not want the antibiotic that I know she's going to prescribe, but I want to have it in case I really can't, like my natural tools don't work, which they always did. Like I said, 20 find me another mother of four who raised children for 25 years without an antibiotic. Well, how did I learn that? I learned that the hard way with my first child the one I vaccinated, the one I injured, the one I gave the antibiotics to. That's when I started learning. Like you, I went past my my normal training. I'm a psychologist. I got all the degrees. And, you know, when you when you acquire that third degree, there's something about a terminal degree that to cover for, tell me what you think about this. So, so they kicked me out of the pediatrics practice and I wrote a four page letter to them saying, you know, because I was like, you're kicking out my three children out of this pediatrics practice because my child isn't fully vaccinated, even though we went for an ear infection and I was like, well, what is your reasoning? And they said, because your child is a threat to our practice. And so I went home and wrote this four-page letter, and I was like, but if your practice is vaccinated and your vaccines work, how is my child a threat? So exact same thing that you said, but that's when you get no answer. And so tell me if you agree with this or what your experience has been. When you get that terminal degree, it's almost like they like anoint you as now you are among the elite. You are the most educated among us. And so you sort of figure out, and here's the big ugly secret, that you actually don't know shit about shit. I mean, you kind of said that, you know, like, you. so you start practicing and you're this great, you're wet behind the ears and you got this guy who's been doing it for decades and he was your God. So you kind of figure out you actually don't know that much. And I've heard people come out of medical school and say that they're like getting to the very end and they're like, okay, wait, when are they going to teach us how to practice medicine? Yeah. (laughs) Then they're like done and they're like, oh, oh, that, that was it. Like that was the thing that I was supposed to, uh, apparently I missed where I'm supposed to actually practice medicine. So I think that there's some kind of way that we all learn that we're supposed to cover for all the stuff we don't know by sort of just vaguely gaslighting our patients. When they ask us questions about stuff we don't actually know anything about, what do you have to say about that?
1: Um, I think, I think there's some truth to that. Well, there's a lot of truth to that. And um, I think some of it comes down to individual personality because I just, I can't fake anything. Like when I don't know, I just say, I don't know. And I know plenty of other people who you know don't want to do that and they'll fake it a little bit. Um, and it depends on my client who I'm talking to. Some people greatly appreciate that about me. And other people are like, well, if you don't know, then I want another doctor. So, you know, it just it just, you know, it all depends. But some people... I did a little bit of that in the beginning, I think, like, oh, they're talking about something that makes no sense to me. You know, we're naturally, as Americans, afraid of things we don't understand. They're talking about, you know, they're not vaccinating, and I was taught to vaccinate. So, you know, you're scary to me. Um, and then after a while, yeah, it, it, so much comes from personal experience, or you have to want to learn. You know, we live in a society, you know, I think it applies to everything, not just my veterinary clients, but everything in the world that. They don't want to know, you know, they don't want to know what's in the vaccines. They don't want to know what's in the food. They don't want to know where it came from. They don't want to know what it's doing, the environment. They just want to sit back and do what, you know, mainstream is is telling them, you know, and just be their own little part of the narrative. They don't even know there is a narrative. Um, So there's some truth to that. But after a little while, you know, me personally, you know, I would just tell people like, oh, I don't know about that. I'll look look it up. started looking up some things and finding, you know, oh, well, this is different than what I was taught, and I don't understand it, but it's in a book, and it's written several places, and it's the way they've been doing it for thousands of years. So, you know, maybe there's something to it, and I should give it a little bit more credit. Um, but they also teach us in vet school. That's part of the ego thing, medical school vet school, that as the doctor, yeah, the terminal degree, you know, you're always right. You are in charge. And if you don't know what to do, just act like you know what to do. And I personally, you know, haven't ever been able to do that.
0: Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm the person who I'm very careful. I mean, I'm a psychologist, so I'm tr- sort of trained and, and I have like this experience of, well, husband says this, wife says this, I got to figure out where the truth is so that I can guide them better. So you kind of develop some discernment maybe in the, the, you know, field of your work. But I really appreciate it when someone says they don't know because then it means so much more to me when they do know something because they've just shown me that they don't have such um, an ego thing going on that they're going to bluster and bluff me or even sort of vaguely gaslight me when they don't understand stuff. So I I can laser in on it. And that's the thing is if these, if these doctors who want to be dismissive of their patients or the parents of their patients or the pet owners, you know, the mama of the kitty or whatever, if they they knew that a lot of us are smiling and nodding while deciding this is not a clinic that I would like to come to anymore because, you know, I should be able to ask, well, does my cat have a serotonin reuptake problem? You know, I should be able to ask that, but I literally will stop asking questions because I'm like, yeah, this, like this vet isn't very sharp. Like this vet just drank the Kool-Aid and is here, is here to hand out drugs to my cat for problems she doesn't have. Like I took my cat out to the beach yesterday. My cat does not want to be on the beach. I, my husband and I have this debate, this constant ongoing debate. He's like, she hates the beach. How many times are you going to take her to the beach and find out that she hates it? Then we went, because we have the, we have the intercoastal behind us. We went and we put her in the kayak and it was just a, It was just like a starter kayak trip, like put her in the kayak. We didn't even like lower the dock and get in the water. Like we're just going to get her used to it or whatever. And, you know, my argument with him is she lives on a beach. She should get to experience the beach. Like even if it's scary the first few times, she'll go there a few times and she'll learn that it's not scary. And then she doesn't have to live this, this life of imprisonment in this in these four walls. So he, I mean, we do not really argue about it. We mostly just like banter about it. Cause he does not want to take the cat out and deal with her freaking out and, and whatever. But, you know, I, I just, I, I, I don't know, like these, these vets want to tell me that I should not let her be outside whatsoever. Cause she's going to get heartworm But I go there and, and all, all these vets should know that, that there are patients like me who go and we hear before we leave, they upsell us into this and that and the other thing. I see what y'all are doing. I see y'all upselling. I know my cat doesn't need heartworm medication, or am I wrong?
1: Um okay so let's see a couple things there. Um the like I said, like I, I already said it, you know, but they teach us to have so much fear of what we don't know that when you want to do something different, you know, they they're just we're Vets are scared of it. And if there's, and we're taught drugs like in vet school, you know, um, Thomas I like Thomas Cowan a lot. You've probably heard of him or talked to him. I, I um,
0: figured since you said you don't believe yeah. in contagion, I, I'm like, yeah. he's an Andy Kaufman, Tom Cowan guy. I've interviewed Tom Cowan three times. Yeah.
1: Oh, good, good, good. I saw, I, I went to one of his talks. Um, he's even said in, in one of his books, you know, this is streptococcus bacteria. It causes strep throat. You treat it with this antibiotic done next and that's what vesco is like and like Prozac things if there's a behavior issue give it Prozac they don't tell you why they don't tell you that back in the 80s the study when they started using Prozac it was only like a third effective or whatever and everybody just started using it anyway um, they they you know they just they tell us what to do but they don't tell us why like you said like you graduate with your terminal degree and you're like oh well I've got all this information but I don't know how to use it or what to do with it and that's part of it. So behavior issues, get Prozac. That's it. They don't They don't teach you to ask, what's the cat afraid of? Like, you might go into the vet and say, oh, I'm trying to take my cat on a kayak and it's scared. They're either going to say, well, don't take it out on the kayak or give it Prozac. Um, so so there's that. Oh, yeah. That, thing, that's
0: what I was going to say is if the reason she was scraping her bum on the ground and she had the... So that's what I was going to say is, like, if my cat was had an anxiety problem or a depression problem that she wanted to give me cat Prozac for... I think when I take him her out on the beach or I take her out in the kayak and she's she's not happy then she would have those issues no it was all related to that bladder infection and yeah. that's what my gut told me and I didn't do it so now thankfully despite my veterinarian there's a there's a um book called by Dr. Robert Mendelson who is a pediatrician it's called how to raise a healthy child despite your pediatrician and it, it changed my life like 25, 30 years ago. And, and like, you know, only a pediatrician could write a title like that. Right. Yeah. And he taught me things like, d- just let your child have the fever, like the fever burns out the fever or f- burns out the infection or whatever. Well, how, how would I know that as a 25 year old parent, you know, if I didn't have someone telling me and he was willing to go against the grain, he went on, I saw him the other day from an old clip that he was on Phil Donahue like totally just going hard on the whole vaccine lie, all the lies of the, yeah. And so like, he was just a great American hero and I will just, he's long gone now, but um, he's he is a God to me because he was willing to, it's not like, it's not fun to be us. Like that our profession thinks we're crazy, right?
1: Yeah, I know. And like, and you know, they, they just, you know, it's, it's, it's society and it's industry and it's what they teach us in vet school. You know, I think the vet schools are so greatly influenced by big pharma and big kibble and all these things that
0: big kibble.
1: (laughs) I didn't create that. I didn't, that's not, I got that from somebody else. Um, but yeah, big kibble, just like big ag and big oil and big, everything else, big pharma. Um, they, um, there's so much financial or other influence there that, I feel like the whole education system, just from elementary school through doctor school, the big overreaching corporations are just teaching you. They're teaching us what they want us to know to be good, faithful servants and employees and workers and stuff, not to think for ourselves. They just teach us so much, you know, make us so afraid to think for ourselves that you have to be the right person who's willing to think for yourself in the first place, or you're just going to spend your whole career as a veterinarian, just just giving the drugs and not ever listening to your clients, like not listening to what you have to say. You know, when you have to say, I think this is what's wrong, you know, there's the ego component, of, well, I'm the doctor, so you don't know what's wrong. I know what's wrong. And I've been taught to run all these tests. Oh, back to Dr. Mendelssohn, that's where I was going. He was, he's from a different generation. He's from that, you know, greatest generation or whatever, when they didn't have the tools and the lab equipment and all the fancy things they had to figure it out with their brain and their hands and their, their five senses and their sixth sense. And they had to think about energy and they had to think about emotion and all the things going on in this animal's life.
0: They have to, and they have to actually look at the animal and look at its eyes and look at the, the, the quality of its fur. And yeah. now, we're, now we're making this scary move to telemedicine and yeah, this yeah, I don't
1: like that at all. Um, I want to feel the skin if it's greasy or clammy. I want to like see it up close with my eyes. I want to feel the coat. I want to look in the ears. I want to look in the mouth. I want to listen to the heart and chest. Even though I'm holistic, I still do all the I use the stethoscope and do all the stuff a regular vet does. Um but yeah, so telemedicine is scary for that. I do I like telemedicine for talking to people about things, kind of like we're doing, but I can't properly examine the animal that way. Right. But the older generation, before all the fancy tools, that's what the big corporations and big kibble and they're, they're influencing school, vet schools and vet students and new veterinarians by, we've got this new test, we have this new lab equipment, and they bring it in, everybody thinks it's the greatest thing ever, and they teach everybody how to use it. Well, then the vets and the doctors don't know how to do those things by hand. Um, Great. You know, urinalysis, they'll, they'll put the urine in the machine, whereas... Older vets will look at it on the microscope for themselves and see what's there with their own eyes. So, well, so doctors,
0: d- doctors are being reduced to being technicians. Yes. Is what I'm yes. seeing.
1: Yes, they're being, they're being dumbed down. I think they're, they're being, skill sets are being taken away from them. And it's all in the interest of quote unquote efficiency, which is money. You know, you get less and less time with your doctor because the, the individual veterinarian has to see more and more appointments. To justify his salary, you know, they have these pay scales based on they'll pay you a salary that's maybe it's okay, maybe it's not. And then they lure you in with all these bonus and production things to where if you really want to make enough money to pay off your $400,000 in student loan debt and be able to, you know, take a vacation once a year, then you've got to make this extra production. You've got to sell more stuff. So it's coming at us as veterinarians from all sides that. We, you know, we get subconsciously influenced like, I don't know if I need to run this test. These people don't have the money for this test, but I've got these bills to pay and I'm going to get a little bit of money for running this test. So that influences us, no matter how good of a person you are and how much you don't want to be that, that does influence you at the end of the day because this world revolves around money. The other part is in vet school, they've taught you to use this test. They've taught you not to use your nose. You know, there's a few times recently where I've gotten down on the ground and I've sniffed a dog's butt or her girl parts to see if she's yeasty and stinky. And people don't think I'm crazy. They're like, oh, my God, nobody's ever done that. That's great. Like, you actually know what's going on down there. You've looked. And they don't teach you to do that. And if another veterinarian sees me do that, they think I'm crazy. Um, so, they teach us to rely on testing. The testing costs extra money. We make some money off of that, but it costs the client extra money. So then society is complaining about veterinarians costing too much, but it's not like the individual veterinarian's fault. It's it's how we're taught. And it's, we work for somebody who owns the clinic who pays us based on how much money we bring in for them. So it's it's all that's going on. And I think at the end of the day, it's making us worse clinicians because we're losing skill sets like we we don't know how to look at things on the microscope as well because we're allowing artificial intelligence in the machine to do that for us. And we don't just lose that skill. We lose that part of the brain that thinks that way or solves problems that way. So it's making us worse in other ways. And I kind of compare it to, you know, truck drivers don't have to change gears anymore. They have the So. They don't know how to slow down a truck without brakes. They don't understand how the transmission and engine work together for, for traction and bad weather. You know, so they don't know what to do when they don't have those tools. And that's just what we're creating with veterinarians and medical doctors. We're so reliant on technology that we we don't know how to think for ourselves or think outside of the box.
0: Yeah, I think we just saw a, a horrific example of it the last two years where. You know, I have friends who work in emergency rooms and ICUs, whether they be doctors, respiratory therapists, or nurses who saw it, saw it in the beginning, was questioning it, is mad about it, is trying to help the individual patient. If they take on the system, they're going to lose their job and they're going to lose their job fast, but some of them even try to do that. But then you had a majority of doctors who are willing to keep giving patients remdesivir and watching them die and calling it death of COVID. Like there's... That if there's a, a more stark example of exactly what you're talking about in the human realm than all these doctors who gave remdesivir to every single patient and then watch them die in a way that they've never seen a patient die of any kind of bacterial or viral infection and yeah. ask no questions and keep forcing it and bullying the families into it. I mean, I've done a bunch of those stories. And not to go sideways on that topic, but it just highlights what you said that these doctors have become so codified. and well, the CDC says that if that you have this, then we must give you this protocol and and it's technical enough and difficult enough and takes up your time enough that you think you're practicing medicine. You don't even realize that you've you've completely lost the art of it. Did you ever read Did you ever read the books by James Harriet? Yeah.
1: Some of them, yeah. I've
0: got some right over here on the bookshelf. I mean, you talk about the kind of doctor you're talking about, the kind of veterinarian you're talking about, that that old country vet and all of his stories. They're so beautiful. Everyone should write this down. If you're wanting just like an inspiring, happy, loving, like back in the good old days, the James <laughs> Harriet books, like all creatures great and small, all something bright bright and beautiful. Like it's like little bits of scripture that every chapter is a different story. And he, he has to do what you're like, you getting on the floor and sniffing because you're trying to find the clues that your senses lead you to. Like we do when we look at our spouse and we can tell something's wrong. We can, run, we can look at our spouse and see if our, or our child and see if something's off based on their skin color, their how their eyes look, how they're engaging with us, or we could tell something's wrong with the relationship. So that's kind of my world is I can't do therapy on the phone. Like I can, if I have a, 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 a partnership sitting in front of me where I can look at them in This is common sense. 101.
1: There's right. um the, it is um slightly off topic. The therapy, when you said something about it being a, what your profession I, any vet will tell you this, not just me being holistic in the exam room, you would not believe how much of a therapist we have to be, um, and this is not what're what I'm here to talk about, but the husband and wife never agree on the symptoms, you know, because one feeds the dog and one only spends playtime with the dog, so they're always she's saying this, he's saying the opposite, they'll get in a fight over it, and we ha- or, or they'll their banter will become you know, somebody will become annoyed. One of them will start being a little irritated and stop talking, you know? And then, so we have to go into therapy mode and say, you know, well, I hear you and I hear hear you both and that both of you have valuable information and I'm going to use it together. And, you know, and then the whole other concept of end of life and euthanasia, you know, there's a lot of therapy that goes into what we do. And, you know, and again, it's off topic, but a lot of people go into vet school and they have the book smarts and they memorize everything. But there's a lot of bedside manner and personality, you know, that, you know, a lot of people can't do. But anyway, what I was going to say about what all you just said is it's all about the concept of fear versus love. You know, all the medical practitioners and veterinarians are living in a system where they're controlled by their license and the corporation they work for and the CDC, and they live in fear of getting in trouble or fear of if they don't do exactly what the rules say then some patient's going to sue them and they're going to lose their job. So they're practicing medicine in a mindset of fear. And nobody knows that. I mean, you know that. A lot of people listening know that, but most regular people don't know the difference between the the being in fear versus being in love. I didn't know about it until a few years ago. My girlfriend taught me that because she's way more empathic and spiritual and energetic than I am. But veterinarians used to practice love based or we go into vet school day 1 in a mindset of love and hope and healing and we come out of there living in fear yeah. um and i think that's a big part of what's wrong with society and how we're taught in school is you know we go in full of love and hope and healing potential and we come out afraid to make a mistake and afraid to break the rules and afraid to do it wrong and you know afraid of things and you can't practice positive medicine and exude healing energy, you know, and you can't get anywhere when you're, everything's fear-based. Um, and that's just something you have to learn. You know, you're never going to be taught that. And even if they try to teach that in school, I don't think that's something that can be taught.
0: And we, as the patients or the parents of the patients or the pet owners of the patients, um, we're sort of given this weird ideal that we're supposed to be to be a good parent or a good pet owner, we're supposed to eliminate all the risk. And life is risky, and health problems happen, and then we die. <laughs> and so like i I would just rather than give my cat all these injections that wrecked my health. and I spent four years in bed after one injection that they told me oh, wow. to be safe and effective. I was working in a psychiatric hospital, and I won't go sideways on that because my audience has heard it before four years in bed. That's the kind of mom I was when my kids are little to watching my child be in and out of hospitals, all, all related to vaccines. So I don't want to give them to my cat because I don't trust that industry. So let me ask you some rapid fire questions. Are you, are you rewarded for having X amount of your patients vaccinated? Are you penalized? Are you rewarded for getting more vaccines in more pets? And are you punished or penalized for not doing enough of it?
1: Not directly. Um, Rewarded in the sense that in a regular vet clinic, you get some amount of production or commission off of every fee. So you're rewarded in that regard. You're punished more psychologically or subconsciously, you know, because everybody else believes you should give a vaccine. So if you don't give a vaccine, the other vets kind of look at you a little funny or question you, or they They go through what you went through that, oh, well, your cat's not allowed to come back in here and see this other doctor because he didn't have a vaccine last time. So there's a lot of negative stuff to it, but it's it's not direct.
0: You know what? I think if we, as the parents of the pets or the parents of the children, could encourage the healthcare practitioners we're working with, we have someone who's like-minded, like clearly Dr. Parker is. But he, you know, when he was at the beginning of his journey, if we, the patients could encourage these doctors, they're probably scared that their patients will leave. They're probably scared that if they go in the room and spend the extra 20 minutes to talk to you about maybe why you wouldn't want the vaccine. ah, I just spent 20 minutes talking myself, talking people out of my income. I mean, that's what Paul Thomas told me, who has done some studies and they've just destroyed his life, his career. He lost his medical license for a while. I don't know if he's gotten it back in Oregon. But he was—he was out there telling people. He said he said I would go around and spend hours every day decreasing my income by a million dollars a year. I, I don't mean income. Nobody's nobody. No pediatrician's making millions of dollars a year, but revenue, right? Yeah. Like revenue. Everybody understand? Like you might make your your practice might make three million dollars, but you put two hundred thousand in your pocket. Hopefully, everyone understands that. But what I'm saying is, he said he cost himself over a million dollars a year in revenue by talking parents out of what makes pediatricians a living. So what do you think is truly um, a risk that we should vaccinate a a house cat or house dog for? Do you think that there are vaccines that work and we should do it?
1: I think everything is an individual situation. It's gonna be hard for me to give you a straight answer there. Um, everything's an individual situation. So, um, and I wanna make sure I'm not, Bad mouthing anybody, because most vets are not in it for the money, but we do get influenced and make money based on how much we sell. But every vet went into vet school like me wanting to help animals, not because they want to make money. So I don't, I don't want to give that impression, even though it does. It can't help it, but be influenced by it because it's human nature. Um, but I personally, not believing in contagion, don't believe in any vaccines at all. So, but I de- it depends on the individual and the lifestyle. So I can't, I'll make the argument. You know, with somebody in the room, so sometimes I'll have a client in the room who doesn't vaccinate their kids and, you know, they're they're clean and vegan. You can tell by their skin color and they're not puffy. You can tell by the way they eat and dress. I can talk to them about it more and they're open to it. So if your dog or your kid is living a permaculture lifestyle and you're growing your own food and you're in the soil amongst the microbes and you're not sitting under fluorescent lights all day and you're out in the sunshine and you're getting exercise, you're doing all this stuff, your immune system is healthy enough that you're probably not going to get sick and you definitely don't need a vaccine. However, if you've got this little pit bull puppy who came from a Craigslist or some dirty situation where he's been bred and living in some tiny backyard that's full of disease and poop and trash, he's going to be sick. And if you don't vaccinate him and he gets sick, well, then the world, the veterinary community, thinks it's your fault for not vaccinating me. You know, Parvo and Distemper are the two big, other than the rabies, the two big main things. They're in a combination shot. It's the puppy shot that all vets give. Well, Parvo and Distemper exist in the environment to clean up all the trash and garbage that's in that dirty environment. And if all that trash and garbage is in your dog's belly, then he's going to have the infection in his belly and he could die from it. The vaccine somehow... In some animals, it seems to make them not react to the infection as much, and seems to help them in some way. So even though in the long term they're not getting the toxins cleared out, they don't die from this disease right now as a puppy. So even though I don't believe in vaccines, I do. Be- I have seen, you know, some science and some hands-on observations that, you know, it stops the virus from doing what the virus is trying to do. The virus is trying to clean the toxins out of the body. If there's so many toxins in the body, it kills you in the process. It may stop that from happening, and you know I'm gonna have you know I'm have to take that. I don't want the puppy to die, but then I'm gonna go on and get the puppy a cleaner environment and a cleaner gut, so I don't need more vaccines. So super clean and healthy, no vaccines. But if you've come from a, a dirty situation and your body's already full of toxins, it's tricky for me because the vaccines are more toxins in the body. It might make things worse, but they also might stop you from dying. From this viral cleansing process. So again, it's individual situation. Your cat is outside. I'm a big raw food feeder. You know, I don't like kibble because it's artificial. If your animal's eating the food it was designed to eat, you know, raw food basically, and it's outside and it's digging in the dirt and it's interacting, doesn't need vaccines. If it lives in an apartment and its little feeder out on the pesticide covered lawn every day and it's licking that off its feet, it's got all the pesticides in its body. Then you're in trouble because the vaccine might really set off a bad reaction, Mm. but that dog is more susceptible to disease and injury. So I look at every situation, you know, and I will give some vaccines, even though I don't believe in it, because if I don't do it, they're going to go to that vet you went to and they're going to get every vaccine that is possible. They're going to get them all at one time, one day while they're under anesthesia and already weak. So if it has to be done to fit into society, I'll do them one at a time. I'll use the least toxic vaccine I can find even though it hurts me to do so. I know I'm saving them from a worse fate if I don't do it.
0: That was part of my problem is I was like what kind of poor judgment is that that right before my cat goes under anesthesia yeah. I later realized for a surgery she doesn't need that will make them some money but it you know her teeth are her teeth are fine. I mean this this other vet we went to said there's a little bit of erosion on these two teeth and that's it like um but anyways yeah that she wanted to give her all these injections all at once right before anesthesia and surgery which is an insult to the body which is you know that's tough enough to come back from right. to me it was like i'm i'm just with the wrong vet anyway even if i wasn't going to go fight the fight the vaccine battle okay so food for those of us who like let's people are limited in their incomes right now like yeah. things are not good like what right. if you have an indoor cat and you're not going to go catch some mice for them or whatever. And they're not outside. Cat- and I don't want my cat in the glyphosate in the grass either. So I told you my cat went to the beach and to the. gut. we put her in the kayak yesterday. That is rare. That is rare. She lives her life in four walls. What can I buy? I've just been buying organic, organic food, but it's carbs. And so and so then I learned from this. Um, you guys know Dr. Eric Z. Uh, he has this holistic vet. Uh, and she's in Tampa, and she told me, feed my cat three meals." And she's lost weight. It was just weird. She had gained weight. And I think it's cause all the carbs in her food. Like cats aren't supposed to eat carbs. There's no organic food in the cat food in the store that doesn't have carbs for cats. I really I'm very frustrated. What do I feed her that I can order or <laughs> buy in a store?
1: Well, so the way our you know system is set up, the good, healthy stuff is more expensive than the stuff that's bad for you. So raw food and the food that cats are supposed to eat is 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 more expensive and it's hard for most people to do. Um cats are obligate carnivores. They're not supposed to have any carbs. They're supposed to be meat eaters and hunters. And so it's it's we're in a really bad situation. Um there are canned food is better than for cats than dry food. Okay, so that's that's okay. step one. Cats evolved. I won't get too much into veterinary stuff, but cats evolved as desert animals, and they didn't drink much water. They ate lizards and rodents wherever they could find. And the basics of this are, you know, you and me were sixty or seventy percent water. Our cats and dogs are sixty or seventy percent water. You know, we're we're more water than anything. Um, well, if they eat a, a a mouse or a lizard, those things are sixty or seventy percent water, so they get the moisture from those things. So the point I'm making there is canned food, even though it's terrible, is a lot more moisture than dry food. So that's one way it's better for them. So if you can get your cat to eat canned food instead of dry food, that's a huge, huge step. It's way lower in carbs. It's way better in hydration. Most cats die, when they die of old age, is kidney failure. Well, kidneys are on water retention, okay? That's the most common thing I think we see in old cats when they're just dying of old age is their kidneys. Um, Well, if we get more moisture in them, you know, we may not have that problem. Um, I'm a raw food feeder, but I I really want to clarify before anybody goes out and does anything on their own. The hamburger and chicken you buy at the grocery store will kill you. It's been raised in a factory farm environment with terrible bacteria and stress, and it will kill you and your cat if you feed it raw. The raw food I feed, I buy from kind of boutique specialty stores that sell raw food. Um, And it's not just meat. It's organs and bones and everything. Because if your cat went out and killed a mouse, it would generally eat the whole thing. Um, So that's what I recommend for cats and dogs, really. But it's expensive. And I just want to make sure people know that you can't go get chicken at at Walmart and feed it to your cat because everybody in the house is going to die from the bad bacteria and that stuff. But the raw food companies are getting chickens and beef and pigs that Live on the regenerative regenerative agriculture type farms where they're super clean and healthy and they're unvaccinated and they're building soil and they're sequestering carbon and you know they're just better for everything. So um actually on my website, if anybody wants to go there, it's drmatparker.com, um, dr there's a nutrition tab and I've got like this 14-page document PDF that you can download. And the first section is the hydration thing I just talked about. And it also lists a few brands that I I like, I don't get anything for it. They're just brands I've fed to my dogs over the year that I like. So the nutrition tab on my website will help you with that and help you understand it better.
0: Does it have kitty recommendations too? Yeah, it's dog and cat. And one of the things about cats,
1: um, cats are supposed to be outdoor hunters and they're so much happier when they're out hunting and doing what they were designed to do. But we've created an artificial population, an artificial situation where Cats aren't at risk to other predators because they live in the house. So the cats aren't getting thinned out by foxes and dogs. So the cats live in the house. When you let them outside, they kill all the birds. And they're, they have an unfair advantage because they live in the house. They're not exposed to nature. So they go out and they just kill all the birds. And they're so used to eating their dry food and being in the house, they still have the instinct to kill, but they don't eat the bird and get the value from it.
0: That's my, yeah, so we, we were in Park City till you a year and a half ago, so in Utah, and we had this fabulous, big, huge deck, and she would go out there and kill the bird, and then I would come walking in the house, because a lot of times, because Park City is so beautiful, like in the spring, summer, fall, like you just leave the back door open. There's not bugs, There's and so we just, you know, she just goes in and out, so I'd leave, come back a couple hours later, and I'd walk in, I'd be like, oh, holy crap, because there's feathers everywhere, I'm like, where's the dying bird? She never killed it, she just wanted to play with it, and now, they so were in florida now at my other house in jacksonville she can go out on the the small deck and now she's torturing lizards to death but she never yeah. eats them she never eats yeah, them yeah and
1: that's just a you know we we've, we've taken away some of their instincts to eat the raw meal but they haven't lost the instinct to hunt it um and and like i said if the cat was living outside as a wild animal it wouldn't be as much of a risk First of all, it would eat what it kills, so there wouldn't be the waste and the torture and the drama. Um, but there wouldn't be as many cats, you know, because they wouldn't be surviving, because right. they wouldn't be sleeping in a warm, safe indoor shelter. So I love cats. I mean, I'm a, I'm a veterinarian. I'm not against the cats. I'm just saying we've created such an artificial world that now we're in a situation where the cats would be so much healthier and happier outside, but they're torturing the birds and the lizards. And that's not fair to the birds and the lizards.
0: No, it's not. I was you know, there's like a couple articles out there on the internet about how many birds die as a result of probably mostly domesticated cats. But yeah. And my husband and I keep having this conversation about how like the more we learn about what's really going on in the world and who really runs things, which does not appear to be our actual governments. Right. right. And and what their goal is for us, like this whole control grid and getting us so that we can't leave our house unless our app on our phone shows green cause we've got all the injections and the whatever, like it, I don't know how far down that rabbit hole you've been, but I'm like, so basically we're in such outrage and we're so angry that they're going to do to us exactly what we did to our cat her whole life. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, But I think the difference is we actually love our cat and I try to take her for adventures on the beach. And we did we did get 4 years of nothing but kibble and she wouldn't she wouldn't eat the canned food and then one of my employees told me that there's this high gravy um canned food and so we finally have her on the canned food and it's you know at least higher quality. So I'm going to go I'm going to put your um your link in the show notes to um drmatparker.com it's drmatparker.com and and he just said there's a 14 page download and I'm going to check into like what the food is cuz what I've been to those boutiques and it's like freeze-dried food. First of all, Phoebe wants nothing to do with it. And it costs like $25 a pound. And I was like, eat that. <laughs> she won't. <laughs> it's worse than kids, like worse than kids. Like kids won't eat it, but cats really won't eat it. So yeah. anyway, any, any, um, final like words of advice for pet owners, which is, we're just so glad that you exist. Cause you're so rare.
1: Thanks. I appreciate that. and. um And nobody knows I exist, but I know I'm trying to help what people can find me. The the, um, Real quick, the dry kibble is high carbs. Carbs are sweet. Cats lose the taste buds and the drive for raw meat. Just like humans, I used to be 40 pounds heavier. I ate donuts and fast food all the time. And lean meats didn't taste good to me anymore because my body develop the craving for the high carbs and our sugar. So that's what happens to the cats, the high carbs and the dry kibble and the gravy and the canned food. If you're going to feed canned food, try to get one without gravy, but they won't eat it. So you just have to do what you can do. Um, um, so I just want people to, you know, anything you do, if you're making changes to your cats and you like, go slow, cats are smarter than us and pickier than us and more stubborn than us. So do your homework before you do it. Don't just go change something today because your cat will win. Um, so <laughs> that's all about that.
0: My cat wins. And, and that's saying a lot. Cause I have pretty strong will and I like come up with really crafty plans. And I think I'm a pretty good cat mom, but she, she's just not, she's not having it. She'll, she seems to be, she seems to prefer to uh, starve to death. But what I was starting to say before, just cause I'm the same as you, like I'll lose my train of thought. I was talking about how we, as the patients need to tell the doctors like, Hey, we're here for you. I'll tell my friends if you, if you want referrals. You be the vet that doesn't give the the force all the vaccines, and you'll do procedures on animals, even if they're not fully vaccinated. Build it and they will come. I mean, it was a 45 minute trip each direction for my husband to go to, and I just mentioned it on my personal page, not even on my public figure page. And a whole bunch of people have written me and said, who is this lady in North Jacksonville? And they're willing to drive hours. Yeah. It, it reminds me of Dr. Larry Pilevsky, who is in New York. So New York, one of the most like hardcore pro-vaccine states, really hard to get any kind of an exemption. He has been a pediatrician, you guys, for 20 years and hasn't given a single vaccine. And he and he has a wait list. He has a full practice. Here's the thing. These vets can specialize. I just want more of them to know my, my daughter is actually dating a veterinarian your age. So he's not that much younger than me and, and I don't care. He's a good guy, but he's, um, and he didn't get the jabs and, you know, like she and he haven't really talked about why she hasn't and he hasn't, but so he's, he's a veterinarian and at least questioning like you, there should be like an association of like biological veterinarians or whatever. I mean, somebody made that up for dentistry. It's not even a thing. Biological dentistry is not a thing. It's not like they teach that in, in dental school, but is there an association or somewhere we could find people like you? And where do you practice?
1: Um, I just moved to Jupiter, Florida. So I'm like 200 oh. miles south of you, I think. Um, and I only do house calls. Um, so we're near West Palm. Um, okay. So um, I'm kind of in the West Palm area. Um, and I'm just doing house calls. Um, just through my website. Um, I do house calls because I want to go in the environment and see like the Glade plug-ins and all the toxins in the house that are making the animals sick. And and I, I think a lot of what I do is I educate people, you know. Like we talk about the things like you and I have talked about. Like I think that's the biggest thing I give to people is I introduce them to things they don't know about, about health and wellness and disease and toxins in the environment. Um, and that just helps them better care for their pet in the future. And I still do, you know, blood work and whatever we need to do. But, that's what I really enjoy doing, and I think that's the biggest benefit people get from me is just learning this all this other perspective. you know, it's not alternate. It's just alternates like second class. It's just you know, it's the way it used to be. You know it's the way we used to treat me- medicine and health. Um, there's a, the AHBMA is the American holistic Veterinary medicine Association. <clears throat> um, but so many people, it's a bandwagon. So many people are putting the word holistic in their Google yes. search terms, and all they offer is like some joint supplement, and they only not do anything holistic. Okay,
0: um, I'm so glad you brought that up, because this is, I'm having this conversation all the time, and most of my, most of the people following me are like 50, 50-year-old 50 women, generally, up, upper middle class, educated women. They're always talking to me about finding a bioidentical hormone specialist, and I'm like, beware the MDs. Saying that they're bioidentical hormone specialists. They just know that there's a growing minority of women who want it. And so they hang out a shingle and they don't know, again, don't know shit about shit. And I've been to those guys and I've learned very quickly, I know way more about this than you do. And I could see them blustering and bluffing me. And that's when I get out of there and go find somebody else. But it's the it tends to be the nurse practitioners. Ask them how many thousands, like, Ask them how many hours they've put in in learning that very specific crap. Because somebody could call themselves a holistic vet. You're exactly right. I'm so glad you brought this up because it's so important. Is that they want to capture the holistic people, the the pet owners who are figuring out that most vets just want to put your cat on Cat Prozac and stuff and rip their teeth out. It's a new thing. We were talking about that on Facebook, and you jumped into the conversation. Someone tagged you in there. Uh, you guys, they're ripping. Perfectly good teeth out of mouths because I guess it makes them a lot of money or something. Not you, but some of your colleagues. I know you don't want to criticize them, but I will.
1: It's what they were taught, though. They haven't learned to think for themselves and to question what they're doing. I'll tell you about that. Um, even in my my second or third as a veterinarian, way before I knew anything holistic or questioned things, um, their cats will get stomatitis. Cats will get really red, raw, inflamed gums. And the solution for it back then, 10 or 12 years ago or whatever it was, the the dental, the boarded dentists, the Board of Dentistry for Veterinary Medicine, their solution was pull every tooth out of their mouth because their, re, their gums are reacting to their teeth. Well, their gums aren't reacting to their teeth. Their gums are reacting to the tartar and the biofilm on their teeth. And the tartar and the biofilm is a direct result of gut microbiome health. So when you feed them the right food, their gums don't react to the junk on their teeth. So you found a vet who you know cleaned up the teeth manually or said, oh, it's not that bad. But so many vets have been taught that the, the gums are going to get worse because they don't change the food. So you go to a vet and they see some red gums and they're like, oh my God, these are going to get worse and worse and worse. We've got to clean the tartar off because the gums are reacting to the tartar, which is true, but it's reacting to the tartar because of what we're feeding them is changing the bacterial content. And the, the pH of the saliva, and I don't even know what all, it's changed a bunch of stuff that's causing our teeth to be that way. So they're taught you've got to get those teeth out of there because unhealthy teeth and gums and the bacteria gets in the bloodstream, and then it goes to the heart and affects heart valve, which is a true thing in people. But it's only true when your teeth are rot. I mean, you've got to be really bad before that's a problem. And again, that's all they know. They've been taught in vet school, the teeth of the problem, get them out. Um, so they're not necessarily there for your money, even though dental work is expensive and they make a lot of money from it. And we as veterinarians, we make more money on surgeries generally than we do on just regular appointments, um, because that's just the way the system is set up. But but I promise you, 99% of them are not doing it for the money. They're going because they were taught and they believe it's the right thing to do, because they were taught to not question what they were taught.
0: I believe so, you. And and if you're not taught anything holistic and you're not taught about how the tooth is an organ. Then and you don't know what else to do. The vet probably doesn't know the tooth is an organ and it yeah. is connected via the meridians. Your girlfriend's into this stuff. Via meridians throughout the body. I mean, in humans... You know, um, Dr. Thomas Rao did a st- just a study of like a hundred breast cancer patients, and every single one, except I think there was one that wasn't, their whichever side their breast cancer was on, they had a root canal tooth, so a oh. rotten oh. tooth fossilized stuck in the in the face, because that's the thing we do in, de- in um, dentistry. And all of this is related. All of this is related. Is that well? D- when when do we, do we do we do we fossilize the spleen? or the appendix. No, they, they remove it. Or what we really should do is what I like to do is save people's gallbladders by flushing their gallbladder, by detoxing them, by putting right. them through a you process. Know. And, you know, so you that's, know that's what dollars. we do. If we can get the people before the 1.5 million of them per year in the United States alone, get their gallbladder removed, like, cause their doctor isn't taught the gallbladder, is, you know, metabolizing fats before the liver. If you get rid of that gallbladder, your liver has to work that much harder. That means your liver's in that much more trouble and you kind of need that thing for life. So all these things are related. And I think listening to you today, we all just got like a couple of IQ points. I really appreciate this conversation,
1: Dr. Parker.
0: Thank you. And thank you for what you do. And for the care and compassion and going the extra mile. I know you can make a lot more money um, doing what those vets are doing, who wait until my husband drops her off, knowing that I'm going to be sort of trapped and say, we're going to give her all the the vaccines. Mm -hmm. And you could make more money doing that and selling, selling the heartworm medication and the, the kitty Prozac on the way out the door. I know you could make more money doing that, but honestly, and I absolutely believe this, keep putting the word out there. People like me will keep putting the word out there and we 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 are sort of this loose community all over the place that are there's this mass awakening and we will send the people to you. So thank you so much for your work and for being with us today.
1: Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thanks for having me and sharing me with all of your people.
0: My pleasure. I know.
1: All right, bye.